Welcome to episode 166 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. The room is filling up and everyone is getting settled into their seats. It's an event that one of my clients is attending to learn more about a program she's interested in joining. The program is expensive, so she knew she needed more information before making the decision, so she signed up for one of their info sessions. There's still time to grab a cup of coffee and a Danish from the table in the back of the room. Nothing really better to do as no one is talking to each other. My client has read my book, so she sees all of these missed opportunities by the team running the event. As she was perusing the food table, she noticed them all huddled together in the back of the room. She was struck by the fact that they weren't engaging with folks in the room, people like her who had a lot of interest in the program and likely, like her, a lot of questions. She also wondered about the possible connections that she could be making with the other folks in the room. They clearly shared some of her passions and interests since they too were at this info session. She told me this story during one of our private coaching sessions. It reminded her of the lessons I had shared in my book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Networking events are everywhere, she exclaimed. This was her epiphany after attending this info session. If set up differently, and if the staff had been more proactive, it could have been a great networking event. Instead, she and everyone else sat docile, waiting for the presentation to begin. She was surprised by some of the titles of the staff as they were introduced to the group and invited to share a few words on stage. Titles included words like engagement, outreach, and community. These shouldn't just be titles, but verbs. Your challenge this week. Whenever you are hosting an event, consider how you can help participants make the most of the 15 to 30 minutes before the program begins. Treat the event, no matter the content, as a networking event and structure it so there are reasons for people to talk to each other. For instance, put a table 10 out with a question or a topic prompt and tell the first person who sits at the table that this is something their small group should discuss before the program begins. Assign specific tasks to team members or volunteers that help facilitate these connections. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is a skilled and passionate community advocate. She's a breast cancer survivor turned advocate who launched the Asian Breast Cancer Project in 2010. The ABC Project gives Asian women access to resources, education, and support during and after traumatic and difficult cancer treatments. Motivated to lead through her own cancer experience, she continues to participate in local and national efforts on health policy affecting the Asian community. She founded Asian Women for Health, a peer-led community-based network in 2012. Her remarkable passion for supporting her community has changed the healthcare landscape for Asian women and created a pipeline of future leaders and peer health educators. Her efforts have been recognized numerous times, including being named one of the most influential people of color in life science and healthcare in 2017, receiving the Laurel of Community Service Award from the Cancer Prevention Foundation in 2019. Please join me in welcoming Chen Chi Huang. Thank you, Robbie, for having me on your show. Genji, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is you're you're actually a local of, of Boston, so you and I have gotten to know each other, and I've probably known you since before you started this project in 2010, which is amazing. It's been 10 years. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. And as you know, this is a show about 
building strong networks and the context of the conversation is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, our networks certainly overlap when we both attend the Lee Boston program. And this is such a great pro, uh, great question. Um, I think that, yes, um, everybody can lead, but only great leaders can inspire others to lead. So I think that a good leader, a great leader should have the ability to bring people together and move them towards the common goals. And you will have to be able to see from your head and speak from your heart and support others with your whole being. Mm, I love that. And thank you for bringing up Lead Boston. It's a great program. Um, my first probably dozen interviews on this podcast were all people I met through that amazing alumni network all over the country. Um, people from the Lead Boston have sort of gone. And this was actually a project of Lead Boston. I, I needed to have a big goal at the end of my year. And I made launching this leadership podcast a goal, uh, which I haven't thought about that in a while. This was, is really thanks to them. And I love this idea of people who are great leaders inspire others to lead. It's not just about themselves. It is about inspiring that in others. When did you first realize that you had those skills? Um, so I am one of those kids who... You know, um, when the teacher needs to go to a meeting uh, or need to have a break, um, they will call me up uh, and then ask me to tell a story to engage the classroom and keep the hold down the class. And I'm also one of those kids that will, um, you know, direct the, the kids in the neighborhood and put on a show huh. for everybody to see. So I'm one of those kids. Yeah. So really, I guess you're saying... You kind of always have had that gift um, of people paying attention to what you're doing and and following and other people seeing that in you too. Like people saying, like, oh, you know, let's leave, let's leave you in charge <laughs> of other yeah. kids. Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, they I was always like getting voluntold to do something or take the lead. Um, but I think that one of the time that I really get the high of feeling that I'm a leader was the time that um, I um, I was the captain of the cheerleader team in my college, the National Taiwan University. And that was the first time the entire university had the co-ed team. Mm. And I single-handedly did everything. Like I, I did the choreography, I did the music, I designed the uniform, I recruited the guys to join the cheerleader teams and and I remember we like there's that time when you know every all the other teams were you know hiding because it was pouring rain we're the only team out there in the field cheering for our athletes so that was the time that I really feel like you know I have the ability to lead and to get everybody behind me and I feel the power of, you know, you know, as one, you know, unit, like everybody's in unison. What a powerful memory to have and to have it, to know that that really came together based on all of your efforts. Do you know, though, were people following you because you're telling them, volunteering them, or were you really inspiring them to be out in that field in the rain? Like, how do you think your own skills evolved in that time? Mm -hmm. I think. Um, 
I guess I always believe that you have to model it. So I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, I stay in the field and everybody, you know, nobody said that they, they wanted to leave and everybody just stay on the field and keep cheering for athletes. I didn't, I didn't think that I told them to stay on the field. You know, they can do that on their own. But the fact that everybody stayed and everybody cheer for the athletes, I, I think it just, you know, it's that feeling that you, you know, you, you are there for each other and you, you get other people to want to do the same thing with you. So I, I know sort of only this last chapter of your life where you're doing all this breast cancer support. Um, mm-hmm. Where did you go after college? Like, what was your next step? Was, was there a goal that you were going to take this like leadership skill you had and, and take yourself on a path? Like, did you have a, a, a clear sense of what that was going to look like? Well, um, I didn't really have a clear, clear goal after I graduated from college. I just wanted, I feel like I just wanted to do something creative. So I actually, um, my first job was in an advertising agency in Taiwan. And I was, you know, I was um, working as a account executive and I only worked for six months and I feel like really, I didn't like the environment. I feel like advertising is very superficial. And um, so I decided to uh, take a break and pursue graduate study in the United States. And that's how I ended up in Boston. Wow, that's a big jump to make at a young age. Did yeah. you know anyone in the States? No, not at all. And that was that was a very difficult time um, because when I first came to this country, I can barely carry any conversation in English and I have never written a paper in my life. Um, so it was very difficult to start a graduate school, especially when you were measuring mass communications. <laughs> That sounds very difficult. Yeah, when the base, baseline communications are already hard enough, forget the mass communication. You're like, I don't know about that part. Yeah. What, well, what made you decide to make that big leap? I um, always liked um, to experience other culture. And so um, I decided to come to Boston because um, BU has a recruitment office in Taipei, Taiwan. And that's where I came from. And uh, and I also knew people who went to BU before, so I knew that it's a good school, and um, that's how I applied to BU. Yeah, I have to say, there's something about the fortitude uh, of doing that, of, of of putting yourself out there, that I can see in the story that I do know about the work you've been doing in the last ten years. Mm. Um, that there's there's something just in you of, and even the story you told about you know, the cheerleading squad and, and how you were willing to put the effort in and other people saw it and rallied around it, literally, literally rallied. So, <laughs> um, but, so where did grad school take you once you landed in Boston, which you've been in Boston now this whole time? Um, where did it take you after that? Right. So um, because, like I said, because I didn't have the culture and language background uh, in the United States, so I kind of make a shift to do video, pro- uh, video production. And the funny thing is that the year when I graduated from BU, that was the year when all the big video production houses were shutting down. So I couldn't get a job. Um, 
And so I decided that I'm going to just create a job for myself. So I went out and I, um, uh, the, I, um, I talked to somebody at, um, who was, um, a friend and who is working for the Mass General Hospital. And I told her, I said that I will, and she's looking to produce a, a training video. So I told her, I said, I will do the video for you. Uh, just pay me for the material. So I, again, single-handedly do everything from shooting the video to, um, you know, create a script and everything. And I, at the end, I, I created a video for her. And that's how I started my portfolio. And I use that to get other jobs. Brilliant. Yeah. It's a Mass General Hospital. I mean, that's a great name to have associated with you at any point in your career, but particularly when you're getting started. Um, so clearly networking, even back then, was a forte of yours, like leveraging the connections that you had in the field and thinking like, how do you take the skills you have? If, you know, doors were shutting, literally, because those companies were closing, but you were finding your own way through a, door, a new door that you were like, I'll find a door. I'll make this work. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, at some point in your life, I know you you had to deal with cancer yourself. And how old were you when that happened? So um, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Can you repeat? Oh, yeah. So at some point, I know in your life, you dealt with cancer in mm-hmm. your own life. So uh, how old were you when that happened? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I just turned 40. And that was a real shock because I just had my first mammogram three months ago and they didn't find anything. So, um, and it really turned my life upside down because at the time I have two small children um, and we just moved back to Boston and my husband just started his own practice. So uh, it was a very difficult time. And I decided to start the Asian Breast Cancer Project because when I was in treatment, I realized that um, while the breast cancer rate is going down, it's actually uh, rising for Asian Americans. And also when I was in treatment, um, some women I know uh, actually came forward to me and said that they had breast cancer. And I, you know, I go to, I went to a lot of the support group and I don't see any Asian women like me. And I know that there's no resources dedicated or tailored to Asian women. So um, after I uh, finished, you know, I was in remission for five years, I decided that, you know, I can start something because I have the connections and I have, um, I speak uh, Chinese. So I decided to start the ABC project to train other Asian women to deliver breast health information in their language. Wow. I mean, it's a big task. Uh, mm-hmm. And probably the reason it hadn't happened is because, you know, people thought that's almost too big a task to take on and no one had budget mm-hmm. for it. But you thought you could just figure it out in a grassroots kind of way. What were some of those early challenges when you, when you were deciding to get that started? Right. That's, <laughs> I remember when I first uh, wanted to start the nonprofit, I went to talk to a few um, community leaders or people who, um, you know, who are funder for the nonprofit. And they actually told me that, well, we don't see there's a need for such nonprofit. There's so many nonprofits 
profits already. And so, um, yeah, so basically, um, yeah, they, I didn't get a lot of support at the beginning, but then I still go ahead and start it because I truly believe that there's a need for this, uh, for our programs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at first you're probably just doing this all out of pocket without any fundraising then you were just making it happen. Right. Um, yeah. So at the beginning, I, um, yeah, I just have this idea and then, uh, I went to uh, Coleman, Massachusetts, and I told them that, you know, I, I'm a survivor. And I said that, do you have a program to train people like me to do outreach education? And they say, no, why don't you start one? And so that's how, how it started. Yeah. Oh, uh, look, another example of you creating a position when there wasn't yeah. one. <laughs> that's yeah. a skill you have. That's great. So as you were getting that started, how did you tap your network? Like, you said you knew all the right people and you knew this was important and that there was a need, even though other people couldn't see the need. Okay. How did you, I mean, you didn't have necessarily all the income or revenue, um, but you had all these connections. So how did you leverage that? Right. So um, we don't have, uh, so yeah. So when I first started, I just, you know, keep talking to people. Um, I'm like a mad woman. I just, you know, have this, uh, inf- you know, I created a flyer and I just, you know, and I have a, a Asian breast cancer fact sheet and I will be like passing out this uh, flyer to any Asian woman I see, you know, every, anywhere, you know, on the subway, at the farmer's market, <laughs> just <laughs> anywhere. I talk to anybody who I think that they will benefit from this program and, you know, the services. And I also, um, uh, talk to the media. I, you know, I talked to several um, uh, Asian media and did interview like this. And then uh, gradually the word spread. And also, um, so one thing I think is the, you know, the biggest uh, strength of our organizations that we have so many volunteers. Um, you know, we have uh Constantly, people wanted to volunteer with us, uh, students, um, young professionals, retire, retirees. So I, you know, that's how, how keep us going is that we have a fleet of volunteers. Well, I mean, that just sounds like an enormous undertaking and a lot to manage. Um, it's wonderful to have volunteers, but I also know that it takes a lot of effort to give them uh, meaningful work that they'll feel good about. Right. So. Were you still trying to hold down uh, a, a job while you were doing this? Was, was your career continuing or did you take this as your main focus? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So um, Asian Breast Cancer Project later expanded to become a nonprofit organization called Asian Women for Health. And we were able to get grants um, from different private foundations and also um uh, started last year, we um, we are w- working with uh, Boston Medical Center uh, to do breast uh, and cervical health education to um, uh, also the underserved population, uh, not just Asian women, but also Muslim women and Black women. Yeah. Wow. So if I if I'm getting the math right, it sounds like for at least two years, 
you were just kind of making this happen out of your own pocket on your own time while still running around doing everything else, including raising a family. Uh And then you managed to get some funding. At what point did it become your sole job? Was that in 2012 or was it later on? We started the Asian Women for Health in November 2012. So that was like seven years ago. Yeah. And yeah, so we've been, um, yeah, we've been doing okay. We are not only doing the breast health, cervical health education, we also have annual conferences. And, um, you know, so we have, uh, we use sponsorship and advertisements and also um, uh, exhibit table fee to support our program. As a matter of fact, I think that you give give me <laughs> uh, great um, advice on our very first fundraiser. I actually is- was just thinking about where we were. We met in a coffee shop. I think this is the yes. first time I met you. And yes. I believe it was through Time Trade Circle. Is that? Yes. Yeah. So Time Trade Circle, just so folks are listening, is uh, a time barter in Boston. So a lot of cities have a version of this where an hour of your time is what you give and anyone can then give an hour of time to someone else. So it's not a direct swap. And so I had listed that I'd be willing to talk to people about networking and fundraising. Mm -hmm. And I think you reached out to me and we met up and I reviewed your sponsorship materials. Is that what you recall? Yes. And you also help us create a volunteer recruitment postcard. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. I kind of have a vague memory. This This is a while ago. I love that I get to hear what it became after all that. I mean, I I knew you a little bit then, but I feel like in the last five years, I've started to see you like everywhere, like several times a year, I'll be somewhere and, and you're there. And, you know, even to this day, you're usually one of the few Asian folks in the room. Yes. Um, that really hasn't changed. And you're, that's a bridge builder. Like you're, you're putting yourself in a place that not everyone's comfortable doing and you're bringing information back to communities that maybe don't have access to the information. How, how do you see that for yourself? Like, is, is that something you're doing very consciously? Uh-huh. Is, is it kind of who you are, like being able to move between these different spaces? Right. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I definitely feel like I'm naturally just, you know, feel very comfortable talking to people of, you know, very diverse background, but also I'm very conscious, consciously wanted, like you said, wanted to, Breach the gaps and wanted to bring people together, bring information back to the Asian community. And I remember one time at a meeting and someone said that someone described me as the patient zero. <laughs> she said that I can trace everybody in this room back to Chen Chi. Mm-hmm. And, and recently um, someone said to me that we're now using Chen Chi as a verb. <laughs> Meaning that we're we're connecting somebody, so Chenchi become a verb of connecting people. That's amazing. I mean, you're really good at it, and, and I've seen you you're, you in action doing this. Um, it's a skill, but it's also something you know. There's there's sort of inherent talent, and then there's a skill that you develop while you're doing it, and you really becomes a craft. Um, as you expanded all of this, like, how have you then? I mean, you have this vast network. How do you stay in touch with mm-hmm. these sort of second and third tiers of your community, the people you met, you know, through League Boston years ago or all these networking events? And I mean, you're just at a lot of different types of spaces, fundraisers, mm-hmm. conferences. 
mm-hmm. know, people within different Asian communities. So are you, do you have a system or habits or philosophies or mm-hmm. something? Well, I don't have a system, but I've been listening to your shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I, you know, I often, what I do is I often, if I hear there's a good conference or a good article or, you know, I saw, then I will email that person. Um, yeah. And when I go to conference, I will, you know, call somebody up and say, hey, I'm going to be in this neighborhood. Would you have time to? me for coffee or join me for dinner or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So take advantage of the geographic proximity when it's there. Yeah. Um, and sending people interesting, it sounds like articles or information, right. I think. Yes. And and you're just kind of good at keeping track of what people are interested in. So you're able to do that. That's, that's in itself hard to do. So you've been listening. You mentioned before we got on air, you've been listening this the, almost all these years. I think uh, you said... Um, and you mentioned one of your favorites was Mo Gaudet, who, who that's a, an incredible show, uh, where you, that's, uh, Mo is the, uh, chief, um, uh, chief business officer, I think is his title. No chief Mark. I can't remember now. He's a Google X. And, um, he tells that amazing story of sort of, you know, moving through trauma of losing a child. So, um, and that's episode 57, uh, in case people want to like refer back. So that's, that's a long time ago. I mean, that was, I mean, that is actually two years ago <laughs> that came out. So if you're still talking about it, that's kind of cool for me as a, as a person creating this show. Um, but what were some of the things that, you know, you were picking up? Cause it sounds like you're always looking for new sort of tips, um, like going to these conferences and meeting up with people. So what are some of the things that have stood out for you over time? I think that, yeah. Um, like you mentioned several uh, resources like the the calendarly to mm. schedule for scheduling and also um, how do you you know you know uh, archive your business contact mm-hmm. um, I think did you I think you said that using Google uh, G Suite or something like that or is that so I, I use a few things that you can do. I use so I use Schedule Once, which is a, a version, a different type of thing for Calendly. But I think they're both can be great uh, and a real time saver. Um, I think before using these services, I hesitated to suggest coffee because it always took so long to schedule, and you had to figure out the right place. And I did it. I did it a lot. You know, several times a month, I was going and doing it. But now I get to just hop on a 20-minute video chat with someone who I don't know very well and then decide whether it's like somebody I'm going to meet up with in person. Um, so I think that's been really helpful. And then, um, and yeah, you know, this idea of using labels in your Gmail to figure out where people live so that you can then search by a city. Uh, if you're moving to a city you can, or, you know, traveling to a city, you can check to see just labels. It's a very low-tech version of having that information at your fingertips. Um, I've learned so much over the years from my guests about so these little, little, um, you know, practices that people have. Um, you know, uh, one of the people I, I had on a long time ago is John Corcoran, and um, he does the conversations list. He has what he calls a fifty-person conversation list, and he has a um, a weekly planner that he designed himself. Actually, I think it's a daily planner. And every day there's a spot on it for one of the 50 people. And so he writes their name in off this list that he has on his wall. And then every day he reaches out to someone on that list and 
that's just how he makes sure to stay in contact. And then every year he sort of manages who's on that list and who moves off the list. Um, and that's episode 33. If people want to go back way back to the early days of this uh, back, you know, the first year um, of this show, it's been over three years now. I have one thing to share. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been using this app called Clinked, uh, C-L-I-N-C-K, and you can send e-business cards to other people if you and you can get you can get their email addresses oh that's cool that's cool mm. i love the little tips like that have you heard about how um if you're at an event and everyone goes there's a space in linkedin for mm. find nearby and if you go there you can turn on your find nearby and then add uh, or send everyone a request who has also turned on their find nearby and is on that page. So as recently, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to do it in a really large gathering because then it just sort of feels spammy to like connect with, you know, 400 people. But I was at a dinner party of like 12 or so people and someone said, hey, let's all connect. And we all flipped to that screen and it was a really nice, easy way to, to say, oh yeah, we, ha- we just all had dinner together. Now we should, you know, all be on LinkedIn together. So it is pretty amazing, even in the last decade, the types of tools that have um, changed and evolved makes us a little bit easier. And um, I'll have to check out this clink to see how it works. That's pretty neat. So uh, if we were, you know, connecting a year from now and we, you know, this is one of my favorite questions I always ask. So if we're, if we're meeting a year from now, we're, we're talking about all the amazing resources that you've created because I, I know that's who you are. <laughs> you know, if we're talking about all your accomplishments, uh-huh. what are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? So we just launched our um, monthly podcast called From Resilience to Radiance in January 2019. So I hope that a year from now, we can have as many listening ship as yours show <laughs> As ours, yeah. Um, that's, that's also, we're in the process of starting a um, a uh, WeChat support group, online support group for Chinese women living with breast cancer. So I hope that um, a year from now we'll have you know a really um, robust um, online platform for people to share information, support each other. And, and and anything else? Because those are two pretty big. Uh, oh yeah, um, and we're in the process of starting. We're hoping to start a happy um, prevention coalition in Massachusetts, uh, because happy disproportionately impacted Asian Americans. It's like twenty times more Asian Americans are infected with with happy. Oh uh, wow! Their population, yeah. So. It's a very, um, very urgent and important cause. And we're hoping to start that um, next year. I hope that those funders who turned you down early on now see the need because you've really shown a light on it. I mean, that's, that's incredible work to, to go and, and help people see what's going on. And they weren't seeing it because it sounds like even to this day, uh, mm-hmm. these Asian women are not you know, accessing at the rate that they should be or could be the resources that maybe, you know, are out there. 
and that you're you're you really are a bridge in so many ways. You are in your organization. It's it's phenomenal work you're doing. I'm really glad to shine a light on it. Um, Asian Women for Health, and I know you you've got some big plans uh, events wise. You still doing your your big events, your fundraisers the next year. Yes, yes. So um, every year in October, we have, have our signature benefit fashion show celebrations. And this year is going to take place at the Boston Medical Center on Saturday, October 19th, and from 6 to 9 p.m. So um, I hope that people will come and join us and all the models are Asian cancer or trauma survivors. Wow. And it just happens that this is going to release this episode just a few days before that. So hopefully people who are listening in the beginning of that week will know to check that out. So Chen Chi, how can people find you and follow your work? Mm-hmm. Our website is www.asianwomenforhealth.org. And people can also find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and we have a LinkedIn account. That's fantastic. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Um, including a link to your brand new podcast. I know how much effort that takes from (laughs) resilience to radiance, which is your new monthly podcast. Um, And, you know, if you're listening to our show, then you're a podcast listener. And now you have another show to tune into once a month. So thank you so much, Shenshi. I really appreciate that you joined us today. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chen Chi. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 166. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 150 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that my book, Croissants vs. Bagels, is on sale this week for just $2.99. You'll find all the bonus content and the book on sale at croissantsvsbagels.com, or you can just find it at robbysamuels.com. Have you already read it? That book has received nearly 200 reviews on Amazon. If you are one of those reviewers, thank you so much. And if not, would you write a review? Writing an Amazon review is as easy as answering any of these questions. What did you enjoy most about the book? What is your most valuable takeaway or insight? And what have you done differently or what will you do differently because of what you read? And lastly, to whom would you recommend this book? Seriously, just two or three sentences would be an amazing review. Your feedback helps get this book into the hands of those who need it most. I look forward to hearing what resonated with you. If you enjoyed this episode with Chen Chi, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. 
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.